Well, this is a good time for us to look at the Bible just a little bit in the time remaining. We have been discussing the marvelous subject of God. Think about it, that we could do so. Specifically, we've been trying to answer the question, what is he like? And we determined that he is many things. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere and at the same time. He knows all things. He's good. He's holy. And you know what else? He's very, very loving. And I would uh, like to address that particular subject tonight, the love of Almighty God. Now, I'm not the best at it. There's one who addressed this subject and who did it in a far better way than me, and his name is John. And he addressed this marvelous subject of the love of God in 1 John. And I simply want to call your attention to one verse in it. 1 John, would you turn there if you have a Bible? 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. That's all, just one verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And my fellow Christians and humans... We don't do well in life if we feel unloved. So if you have tried and lost in love, you're not doing very well even as you sit here tonight. I know that because that's an experience we all share. When our love quotient is diminished, it's hard to be loving. So what we're addressing tonight is very, very important. We thrive, we grow, we do better in an atmosphere of love. So this is an important topic, so much so that John addressed it. Look what it says. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? Well, for God is love. And I just want for us to uh, reflect on the last three words of that verse. God is love. And I think they're so rich, uh, potentially rich in meaning. I wonder if I could invite you to memorize those three words with me. So I'll give you just a moment. Would you all close your eyes just for a second? We promise not to tamper with your purses and wallets. Just close your eyes and see if you could commit to memory those three words, God is love. Now do it because there'll be a test. All right, let's see how you did. So I'm going to point upwards and when I do, here's the test. You recite the part of the verse you just memorized. Are you ready? Everybody almost passed. Now, just to make sure you got it, because I, I don't just want you to get those three words. I really want, before we leave tonight, I want those three words to really get you. Because I think if you allow those three words to get you, you'll do better in life. And so, at different times during this message, I'll do the same. I'll point this way. And whenever I do that, so you have to stay awake... Uh, you say, God is love. Okay, so be ready, because you never know when I'm going to... Oh, boy, this is a wonderful group. Good, good, good. 
So you have the three words memorized. Why are they important? What do these words mean? Folks think on them. They mean that love is not merely something God does. Oh, no, it's much better than that. They mean that love is who God is. Oh, we know God does love. But these words say God is love. Folks, have you come to the conclusion yet that God is by nature a lover? Loving is his nature. He loves to love because... Yes, see, that's it. It's his nature. So love is not incidental to God. It's not added on. It's not tacked on. It's not the circumference of his being. Love is the core of his being because, as we just read, don't you see? It's good news. You see, being loving because God is love is not something he sometimes chooses to be and at other times chooses not to be. No, you see, all the time he loves because you see how those words can really get you off to a better start on things even as we take leave of one another later on. Uh, Begin to get comfortable throwing yourself with abandon into the loving arms of God. It's his nature. And so as he is always omnipresent and as he is always omnipotent, as he is always omniscient and as he is always holy, we spoke about that last week, so too God is always love therefore get this the sole cause of God's love is himself Ah, you did not cause God's love therefore since you did not cause God's love you know what I'm going to say you cannot uncause God's love I hope you're feeling Secure, like a little baby in the arms of a loving parent or grandparent who seems not to have a care in the world, just enveloped by the assurance of this godlike creature's love for he or she. And he or she just is tickled and tickles the rest of us. We are to be like that little children in Christ Jesus. You didn't cause him to love you. Therefore, you're safe and secure because you cannot uncause him to love you. Ah, I know what you're thinking, because I am too. (laughs) What about our sin? Yeah, see, just last week we spoke about how God is repulsed by sin because he's holy. He has to react to sin. He hates it. And since sin is part of our nature, how could I tell you that God loves us as I attempted to when, in point of fact, we have this sin nature and so doesn't our proclivity to sin doesn't that diminish God's love for us let me give you a simple answer no no a thousand times no our sin is absolutely no obstacle to God's love let me prove it to you can you turn to Romans chapter 5 Romans chapter 5 and we'll look at verses 6 through 8 And when you get there, and as I read, I want you to pay attention to those terms which describe you and me. I'll give you a hint. It's not pretty. 
Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, Paul writes, and this is what he says, for while we were still, here's the first descriptive term of us, helpless, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, that's us too. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet, what does it say? Sinners, Christ died for us. So my fellow helpless and ungodly sinners, while we were still in that state, Christ died for us. Therefore, how much does he love us now that we've been adopted into his family all the more? Oh no, your sin nor mine, does not diminish God's love for us. You see, loving you and me is always the case with God, your sin notwithstanding. Why? It's because... Yeah, and because he is love, do you realize God can never stop being who he is? (laughs) Those three words can change your life. Because he is this way and because we'll talk about it, Lord willing, I think next week he can never change. (laughs) Because he is love and because he can never change, he must always be who he is and true to himself. Your sin cannot get in the way of him loving you. He loves you nonetheless. So in order to persuade God to stop loving you, you would have to be greater than he is. Your nature would have to overcome his nature. I just told you his nature is to be loving. No, I didn't tell you that. John did. He said, yeah. So in order to diminish God's love, your nature would have to be more powerful than God's nature. But wait, we studied some time ago that God is omni-all-powerful. You ain't. He's not threatened by your nature because your nature can in no wise compromise his nature. And what's his nature? It is to be loving. So you ought to be safe and secure in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. So while it is essential that you and I understand we are not the cause of God's love, it's just as essential that you and I understand we are the objects of his love. You get it? It's a big distinction. You didn't cause him to love you, but you can never get him to stop loving you because he insists on making you in Christ Jesus the object of his love. Well, all this sounds so easy. Why do you and I resist being loved by God? And we do. We drift. We make our own decisions. There are times, sometimes lengthening times, when we have nothing to do with God. We don't talk to him. We don't read in the word. We think we're on the outs with... Why do we resist God's love? Well, a lot of reasons. But I think one of the reasons is we have lost in the game of love in life. And we have... Uh, evaluated human love we don't like it much because human love is a function of you being attractive to the one who is intending to love you 
So if you suddenly cease for whatever reason to be attractive to that one, that one withdraws love. And it has become too difficult, too stressful, too much pressure for you to continue to be attractive and lovely in all ways. Therefore, you don't want to risk it again, even with God. So you resist God's love. But you make a tactical error because God's love is categorically different than even the best, purest Brand of human love. You're making a big mistake. I told you God's love is not incidental to him. It is part and parcel of his nature because don't you love these words? Yeah. You see, it has nothing to do with you. So the love of God is absolutely uninfluenced by anything you do or say. Think about it. He doesn't love you because of something you say or don't say. He doesn't love you because of something you do or don't do. He doesn't love you because of a promise you've made or refused to make. His love is uninfluenced. The cause of his love is his very nature. You're simply the object of it. You didn't cause it. You can't uncause it. No. There is nothing in the object of his love that has the power to end his love. Because, yeah, that's it. Now, folks, if you think God loves you when you are lovable, of course, you know what that means. That means you live a very stressful, unhappy Christian life, probably devoid of joy because there's enormous pressure on you to keep being lovable. Yeah. Well, not only is this a huge burden, you don't have to do it. It isn't necessary for you to be lovable. You see, if being lovable is what caused God to love you to begin with, then that means your lovosity, no word, but it got your attention. It means your lovaciousness is what caused God to love you to begin with. But I'm telling you, nothing caused God's love. It is his nature to love. Therefore, stop trying to be so lovable. You look ugly when you do it. (laughs) Relax like a little child in the arms of an irreversibly loving heavenly father who will not let you go, but who delights in affixing his love on you because he's a lover. This is the nature of God. Don't believe me. Believe the apostle John. Three words can change your life, and they are these. Yeah, so there, there you have it. So, but I know you. I know you. I, I, because I, I am you. So, 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 so I'll tell you what we spend a lot of time doing. Coming up with exceptions to the rule. I just shared with you about God's love. We really, really exert a whole lot of energy, not so much enjoying being loved as much as trying to talk God out of loving us. That's what we do. So I I, I want to, let's just go with that flow. And I'm going to give you just a minute or two, very private, don't embarrass anybody. Would you reflect on this? Come up with something you really do believe can separate you from God's love. Come up with a little something right there. Maybe it's something in your past, especially if a significant other in your past has said something to you or done something to you to reduce you to a lump of clay to make you feel like junk. Maybe you still think that message which you got in the past from a significant other in your life, maybe you think that too will diminish God's love. Okay, be 
honest with yourself. Maybe you think it's not the past, it's the present. Maybe you think, oh, in light of what I'm doing today, now, private secret, I would be ashamed for anyone to know, but I know God knows, and therefore I'm sure he doesn't love me anymore. Maybe that's it. So take a minute, think of something that really does, you think, cause God to withdraw his love from you. And then we'll go around, I'll call on you, and just to, no, we won't do that. We won't do that. But just take, would you take, I mean, it take, take 30 seconds just to think, what can you do to cause God to cease to love you? See what you come up with, just to yourself. Okay, now having done that, let's look to someone who probably did a better job at it than you or I. It's Paul, the apostle. So would you turn to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. In a way, Paul went through this exercise there. Let's see if he covered everything you may have come up with with regard to what can cause God to withdraw his love for you. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I mentioned Paul is the one speaking here. And look what he says. For I am convinced. Now, could I just, this isn't time for a Greek lesson, but I really want to do it here because I, I think this is, this is good. The verb tense used there, I am convinced, is something called the perfect tense. And for those of us who study the Bible, when you run into a perfect tense, you jump up and down. You don't actually do this because people think you're strange. But when I study the Bible and I see a perfect tense, I go crazy because it has such tremendous significance. Here's the perfect tense. The perfect tense means something happened here, but it was so significant, so transforming so big that though it happened here in the past it has continuing ongoing results through the present and way on into the future and Paul resorts to the perfect tense here when he says I am convinced here's what he's saying he says at a certain time in my Christian life I became convinced of something with regard to God back here but I became so convinced of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was so certain of this truth, so affected by it and so transformed by it that I tell you, though it was a past experience I had, the ramifications of it continue on from the past into the present and I know it'll be in the future. And so what he's saying, I became convinced of something then, but you can try your hardest. You can never convince me otherwise because though I became convinced then, I remain convinced of it now. And what is it that he was convinced of? Well, we got to dig into the text and check it out. So after saying, I am convinced, he says that neither. And then if you cared to count them, he mentions 10 possible things that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He anticipates your thinking because he knows you because he's you too. We're all the same. We're all chickens in this coop. And so he reviews a list of possible things that people might be thinking could possibly diminish God's love for them. And here they are. Here's the first. I'm convinced that neither 
death. You know, when you die, you surely are separated from loved ones, and that's why we grieve at the passing of a loved one. But Paul is saying not even that separation, as traumatic as it is, can separate you from God's love. When you pass, I'm speaking to Christians only, when you pass, you pass without any interruption with regard to God's love for you. You simply pass from him loving you here to him loving you there. Death. Paul said, I didn't say this, though I believe it, but he's the one who said it. I am deeply convinced that not even death can separate you from God's love. And then he says, nor life. Think about your life, things about it you wouldn't want the rest of us to know. No matter what it is you're doing in your life, no matter what it is you've experienced in your life, nothing in your life can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So interesting, he starts with death and life because these are the two extremes of existence. It begins with life and it ends with death. And so he's saying from the beginning in this envelope of existence, there's nothing in it that can separate you from God's love. Nor angels, nor principalities. Angels don't want to separate you from God's love. Principalities, demons do, but cannot. No spiritual army is powerful enough to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nor things present, nor things to come. If life and death are the the extremes of existence, this is a, a way of talking about the extremes of time. Not things present, nor things to come. And nothing in between the present day and the future day. Nothing in that envelope of time can separate you from God's love, nor powers, no human government, no satanic entity, nothing, nor height, nor depth. That's about space. So if life and death has to do with the extremes of existence and things present, things to come, has to do with the extremes of time, height and depth has to do with the two extremes of space. Nothing in space. The space that we occupy can cause a separation between you and the love of God. But then you say, oh, come on, Paul, surely you're missing something. Maybe so. And so he says what he says next just to make sure everything is included in what he's negating. And so he says, nor any other created thing. Folks, there's nothing in creation, nothing in creation that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's what it says at the end of this passage, doesn't it? He's convinced, I was then, I am now, and I evermore shall be. Perfect tense is what he's saying, that nothing can separate you in Christ Jesus from the love of God, which is contained in Christ Jesus. Now, oh, wait just a second. This powerful assurance of God's love can only be given, according to this verse, to Christians alone. Not my words, these words. You don't like that? Argue with the Bible. Can't give that assurance of God's unceasing, undiminished, unconditional love, except it be in connection with Christ Jesus as Lord. 
If you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord of your life, nothing in that case can separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. So this is a powerful word of assurance of God's unceasing love to Christians only. Ah, but what about other people? Does God only love Christians? No, that's not possible because... So if God is love, isn't it true that he loves everybody? And the answer is yes, but not in the same way. So God does show his love to everybody in creating and sustaining the world in which everybody lives. How do you think we're making it around here? Rain and sun and all the rest. God spoke it into existence and keeps it going. These planets and sun and all that revolution and rotation, all this stuff I never understood in school. God talked that into, God said, light be, rain be. He just said be. And and so he does that so that we could be sustained. Rain and sunshine and crops and food and nourishment and all the rest. And that's for everybody. I know this because Matthew says so. In chapter 5, verse 45, he says, He, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So if asked, doesn't God love everyone? The answer is yes. Look, he loves everyone generally as creator. Ah, but he loves those are his specifically as redeemer. Big difference. I remember when our kids were little and used to play sports, and I was interested in every kid doing well and having a good time. But I was focused on the one who had the same last name as me. <laughs> I had a special connection and affection and interest in one out of the crowd. And it was as if no one else was there. I would just watch this little one up and down the court or the field or something like that. Mine, a child of a father or of a mother. So, so there was a general kind of an interest, but a very specifically affixed love attached to the one who was connected to me by blood. You get what I'm saying? So there is the general love of God for everyone as creator, but there is the special love of God for Christians as their redeemer. So those who are saved, and they alone are referred to in the Bible, I love this, as God's beloved. Oh, man. I don't care what message you've heard from significant others, which... It's like on a tape still playing through your head and affecting your behavior. You think you might be willing to reject it and replace it with these words? You are God's beloved. Now, put your name in there. We, let's say this out loud. I'll say three, uh, and it'll be, it'll be I, then you'll mention your name, am God's beloved, okay? One, two, three. I am God's How can you be sure of that? You can in three words. Okay, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those who are saved are specifically God's beloved. But uh, my fellow Christians, 
though we are specially and specifically loved by God, don't misunderstand. God does not love us because we are special. No, 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 no. He loves us because he loves us, we are special. See the difference? He doesn't love us because we are special. If that's the case, you have to keep trying to be special. No, 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 no. He loves us because he is love. That he loves us makes us special. God doesn't love us because of our worth. Because he loves us, we have worth. See the difference? You don't have worth because of self-esteem and you're so hot. It's, you see, the, the, the way you feel good about yourself is the opposite of what you've been taught. Kids in schools today and philosophy and everything, you know. Feel good about yourself. Feel good about yourself. You're a wretched sinner, totally depraved. Anything, any even semblance of goodness is to God is filthy rags. You've got nothing to offer. You don't want to look to yourself. You come up with three things you think you do good, you'll come up with 103 in the process that will uh, depress you like crazy. You're a worm, my fellow worms. <laughs> That's the way it is. So, so, so God doesn't love us because of worse we bring to the table. But because he loves us, don't you see, we have infinite worth. That's how you have good feelings about yourself, not by thinking you're good. You ain't good. Only one is good. We went through that a long time ago. God is good. So, 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 so folks, God doesn't love us because of promises we have made to him. No, no. But because he loves us, each of us has great promise. See the difference? <clears throat> so let me offer, we're going to finish here in just a second, but let me offer a definition of love. Love is the giving of oneself for the good of another. Now, by that definition, it takes two to tango. It takes a lover and a lovee, a giver of the love and a recipient thereof. It takes one willing to love and one who is the object of the love. Now, if God has always been love, and if by the definition I just gave you, love demands an object, how did God demonstrate his love before you and I were around? Before there were people. If love is the unselfish giving of oneself for the benefit of another, how did God fulfill his nature to be loving before there we were around and we couldn't be the objects of his love. Oh, great answer. John 17, verse 24. The Lord is praying. It's his last recorded prayer before crucifixion. In John 17, 24, we get to look through a window on the intimate relationship between father and son. Isn't that cool? That's what John 17 is. John 17, verse 24, the Lord Jesus prays and says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you did love me before the foundation of the world. And that's how God, who is love, could display and manifest his loving nature. 
he heaped it upon the Son, his only begotten Son, his beloved Son. And aren't you just a tad bit astonished that that's the very Son whom God sent to us and for us as a display of his love, even for us. There was great love between father and son before we were around, before the world was. So the absolutely greatest manifestation of the father's love is to send to us his choice, prized object of his love, his only begotten Son, to us and for us. So the same John who gave us these three marvelous words, God is love, says in 1 John 4, now verse 9, he says, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So, folks, not only does God's love motivate him to give, it motivates him to give the very best he had. He gave his only begotten son. Come on. Don't leave this place feeling unloved. (laughs) Don't you see how the father proved his love to us? His love is not just affection. It's plenty of affection, but it's also action. I love the words he sent. That's not sentimental, romantic emotion. He gave, sent and gave. Those are not just words of affection. That's a demonstration of love through action taken. Now, though you are a Christian, from time to time, uh, I know you because I'm one of you, you and I feel unloved. Well, Though we, from time to time, feel unloved, please don't let those feelings persuade you that you are, in fact, unloved by God. Please let even your feelings be mastered by fact. And here's the fact. What if you don't feel it? Doesn't matter because... What if you don't deserve it? It doesn't matter because... Yeah, see, 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 that's it. We had two dogs, uh, but now are down to one. Uh, Our older dog, Twinkie, uh, we had to put her to sleep uh, not too many weeks ago after having her for probably 14 years. When I think of Twinkie, I think of a love machine. (laughs) You could come home. And regardless of what you were wearing, she would love you. Regardless of what you were thinking, she would love you. Even with bad breath, she would love you. You could be in a mood. It didn't affect her. She was a love machine. I must tell you, I miss being loved that way by Twinkie. So... Will we replace her with another? Probably not. For a lot of reasons. But here's the principal reason. It hurts too much when that kind of love comes to an end. 
And even though I know I could receive it from another four-legged love machine, I don't want to open myself up to it again. I don't want to make myself vulnerable again because I know sooner or later it will come to an end. So we're down to one dog and when she goes, that's it. So when that happens, you'll know because I'm going to be one ornery, irritable, (laughs) cold-hearted. Well, folks, I share that with you because I think that's how we respond to God's love sometimes. We really, really want him to love us. We really want to be assured of it and enter into it, throw ourselves with abandon into his arms, but we're a little afraid. We've had the experience of unrequited love, love that isn't returned. We've had the experience of love stated, declared in words, but not backed up by action. We've had the experience of one time being loved and suddenly the one who said he, she would love us has fallen out of love. I no longer love you. Some of us have heard that terribly painful message and it hurts too much to risk being in a love relationship again. And so we would rather choose loneliness than risk making ourselves vulnerable to the pain of love being terminated prematurely again. I understand that. So does God. But you and I make the mistake once again of equating his love to human love or the love of a wonderful four-legged companion. That's imperfect love. So God tells us perfect love casts out fear. What fear? The fear of it ending. (laughs) God who is perfect in all of his perfections is the only one who could love us with perfection. And his perfected love is meant to cast out all our fear. So my fellow Christians, you and I, though we fear losing God's love, I tell you it can never... Be Therefore, we ought to stop resisting, letting him love us. Because if you are in Christ, you will never lose God. And if you will never lose God, you can never lose love because... And we ought to just bow and think on that for a second. If I'm in Christ, I can never lose God. Because Christ is the bridge to God. And if I can never lose God, I can never lose love. Because God is love. Lord Jesus, I think we got it for a while. And then we'll lose it again. So thank you for your patience in reminding us repeatedly just how irreversible, unconditional, uncaused uninfluenced and undiminished is your love for us who are in Christ Jesus. We want to enjoy it and we want to be so filled up by it that we have love to show to those around us. This is our desire and yours. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.